Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022, and we've got a show for you uh, today. Uh, joining me as always, it's Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager. How are you doing, Arusha? I'm doing well, Justin. Okay, and we also have on the show for the first time, Tasha Keeney. She is an analyst at ARK Invest. So it's really great to have you on the show, Tasha. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Okay, so we'll get a little bit into your specialty, Tasha, and uh, kind of talk a little bit about the creation of a process here in your analysis and finding these disruptive companies. Uh, and then, of course, we'll talk about a few stocks that Tasha's interested in. And then Arusha and I will go ahead and close out the, the show with a little look at the market um, and see what's going on there. So, Tasha, why don't we start with a little bit? Why don't you tell people what your specialty is and how you kind of got into it? Sure. I'm, I'm an analyst at ARK Invest, and um, ARK Invest specializes in investing in disruptive innovation broadly. Um, so what I cover, I'm the lead analyst on what we call our autonomous technology and robotic strategy. Um, we invest in all things electric vehicles, autonomous technology, 3D printing, space exploration, um, robotics, of course, and uh, with it, within those topics, you know, I, I spend a lot of time looking at autonomous cars and drones and 3D printing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, quite, quite a bit there. So let's get into this a little bit. Um, you know, I guess one of my biggest concerns sometimes is when you're looking at disruptive technology, something that could just change the way we work or, you know, or, or play, what have you. Uh, I guess my concern is always that idea of Betamax versus VHS, right? You know, Betamax was th th these two competing technologies. And by by and large, a lot of people were thinking Betamax was going to win that fight. And that just wasn't the case. So uh, maybe describe a little bit of your process of kind of figuring out who the leader is going to be. And do you ever have to make changes along the way when it looks like things are shifting in a different direction than you thought? Yes. So, um, you know, that, that's that's an example that, we, you know, we, we talk about often internally as well. Um, you know, when we when we define what disruptive innovation is and what that means for us, I guess what's investable. Right. Mm -hmm. um, we try to look for technologies that are really changing the world, um, but uh, more so we look for uh, disruptions that are we, we say like cross industry. Um, so they're not just sort of standalone innovations. They're affecting many things at once. Um, we also tend to look for things that have nice cost decline curves. We model a lot of technologies using uh, Wright's law. It's a derivation of Moore's law um, to determine that cost decline. Um, and then thirdly, uh, you know, we look for platform innovations. Um, so again, not not standalone, um, something that you can actually build other things on top of, you know, the, the internet would be like the prime example of, mm -hmm. of something like that. Um, and, and we talk a lot about market dynamics and um, at ARC, we actually, it's, it, we call it living research. So we're constantly tweaking, reevaluating things. I, you know, I've been working on a model for autonomous driving uh, for the past eight years now, and I revisit it every year and, and, and make changes and, and tweaks. Um, and, and we talk about like the, what, what makes, um, you know, not just a technology interesting on its own, but what would make it, um, you know, adopted by users. So, so that's kind of where you get into, okay, the cost decline, but also, um, you know, uh, for in, in the case of things like AI and robotics, sometimes we talk about what's called um, backwards compatibility, meaning like, 
you want the technology to be easily fit into our current world because that's the quickest way um, to get it adopted. So, you know, the dynamics are different for sort of every technology and industry that we're talking about here. But um, yeah, that's 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 what we we like to discuss all day. Yeah, and and so and your and and obviously Arc's research is is fantastic. Uh, where in the process uh, is it? where an idea that you've modeled well and you've done tons of research and you, and it had a lot of optimism on where in that process is did you figure out okay maybe it's going to be more the betamax uh where it is going to be wrong and you know we thought that it was a great technology but the, for whatever reason the world is just not going to adopt it and this is not this is no longer a great stock idea anymore yeah i i think um you know, you put it in the right way, which is really, it starts with the technology first and then translates into sort of how we adjust our portfolio or specific names that we're looking at. But, um, you know, it can be really early on in a process. The first thing we do is decide if the technology is investable, it meets all of our criteria. So something that I looked at um, a while ago was actually graphene, because um, we, part of what I cover is innovative materials, but there's not a lot of ways to play that in the public markets right now. Yeah, and, and the way that we decided, okay, it's not investable is graphene's being used, but it's for kind of niche applications. It's um, used in tennis rackets. It's like questionable exactly what the benefits of that are. Um, there's a lot of research money being poured into it and papers being written, but like what are actually the commercial applications? And, you know, it might take 20 years for those right. to develop. So that might be something that we'll, we'll wait on. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really an iterative process. We're sort of constantly revisiting our, our theses and, and sort of changing our mind as soon as we have new information. Mm -hmm. And and is there like is there a, a point? I mean, is there kind of uh, every year maybe you're kind of refreshing the ideas or anything like that, or where it's like we're wrong on the like certain number of ideas you're wrong on, you kind of get rid of them, or it just depends on just how the market evolves in each of the industries. Yeah, I'd say um, you know in terms of the core ideas, what makes up the portfolios before you'd get a lot of exposure, like for instance, autonomous technology and robotics, before we create that strategy, we'd be pretty sure about those technologies and that they have staying power. So, okay. and then it would be a more of a question of, okay, which company is doing this right. correctly? And then, and then it comes more down to the fundamentals of that particular name, the execution of the management team, sort of how we like, how things are playing out within the five-year window that we look at for our, our time horizon. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's that's sort, sort of how to, to think about it there. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned this iterative process and you mentioned a model that you've been working on for the last eight years that you revisit every eight years, uh, I mean, every year. Can you go ahead and maybe give us a little bit of the, uh, the details, probably not everything, of course, but um, you know, kind of how you went through your process of creating that model and what it is that you look at in order to improve it? Yeah, so, all right, so I'll tell you the the basics of what the model is, is I tried to estimate what would, what would be the price that you could charge for an autonomous taxi ride and how big will that market be? So, you know, top line is I think this market will be measured in the trillions over um, the next five to 10 years. Um, you know, this could be uh, you know, up to $11 trillion in, in enterprise value um, for the autonomous taxi platform providers. Um, and I think that autonomous taxis are interesting because they could undercut the price of taxis today, but also the cost of 
personal travel or driving your your own mm -hmm. car. So mm -hmm. right. a, an autonomous taxi could be priced as low as 25 cents per mile. Um, the average cost to uh, drive a new personal car in the U.S. is around 70 cents per mile. So I, I think there'll be like a bunch of price points in between there. Uh, but mm -hmm. the point is, it could be cheap. And that's what would be attractive to consumers, along with a lot of other safety benefits. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the process of doing that, it, it's like, it's kind of, I just read it as much as I can and talk to as many people as I can. It's, it's academic research. It's reading all the news articles about the companies that are really on top of this space. Um, we have at ARC what we call our theme developer network, um, which is uh, a group of people, they're academics, they're other investors, they're um, industry professionals, maybe CEOs or founders themselves. Uh, and we talk about every week with them, the most interesting research ideas that popped up that week. And it's like, it's part of our process to, you know, refine that, that living research. And what what about testing out the the kind of a, a robo taxi? Like for instance, I think like GM has the the cruise go, going around San Francisco. Have you had a chance to go and and try that one out? So I haven't had a chance to go in in a cruise vehicle quite yet. Um, you know, I, I I know that they're starting to get investors in cars, so I, I look forward to doing that soon. Um, yeah. I have ridden in a, a Waymo vehicle in Phoenix. Um, oh, wow. Actually, I, I did a cross country road trip, and we stopped we stopped in Arizona just for that purpose, so so um, we <laughs> could awesome. test out the car. Yeah, uh, so you could ride off the trip. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Um, well, how was how how was it, Natasha? The just driving around. What was your, kind of your experience? Yeah, I mean, like, okay, I think the most exciting things about those cars being on the road is it's here and it's possible. Like yeah. when I first started researching autonomous cars eight years ago, is this question of oh, will this happen in our lifetime? Is it really a thing? And it's not a question anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the ride was pleasant, uneventful, like many people say. Of course, way most constrained to like a very specific operating area, um, right. but within that operating area, um, I, I think I think it performs, um, you know, surprisingly well. In that, uh, actually, um, my fiance at the time was was next to me, and he was. Uh, we took it like 10 minutes somewhere, 10 minutes back. And on the way back, he was just on his phone the whole time because he trusted the car. <laughs> so I think that says a lot. Nothing know? to see here anymore. It's yeah, uh, right. This is old hat after bored. 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know the first time I tried like Uber, I, I couldn't get over the fact that there was a car, random car coming. And so I was freaking out the whole time. So you, I, I can't even imagine how I'd react going in a robo taxi. Uh, and just having a drive without a driver there, but uh, so yeah, you def you two definitely handle it a lot better than I would. Hey, I think we have to do a road trip to we Phoenix, maybe. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Do the podcast yeah. from there. Report so, so, back. So now, with with some of this stuff, uh, I mean, there there's the innovation side, and mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's something that just doesn't work on a deadline, right? When you're when you're working on yeah. these technologies that you have to like create, and you just don't know. Like how, how soon uh, until, but then there's this other variable, the regulation side, um, yes. that's also huge. So when you're kind of coming up with your timeline, um, how, how, how do you work with those things that don't necessarily work on the deadlines that you might be uh, put, putting forth? Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, you know, one of the reasons that ARC was created as an investment firm that's focused on the long term is because when you're looking at these emerging technologies, you have you have to have a longer time period. I mean, this is not it's not a question of what was the quarter readout, right? Right. So, um, 
So we have a five-year time horizon, but the research often extends past that. It could go 10 years, sometimes even even a little bit further. Um, of course, it's harder to predict then. And, and that's also, you know, you mentioned timeline as we're talking about like how we refine our research. That's something that I've changed in my autonomous car model because, you know, when I first started looking into this, every automaker said that they'd have an autonomous car by 2020. Um, and that didn't happen at the from a technical basis, it proved to be a lot challenging than even, you know, the best players expected. So, um, you know, I, I adjusted my time period accordingly, sort of as we got closer and closer to being able to tell, like, when is this really going to commercialize? Um, but I really think the most important uh, thing as an investor is to keep your eye on the long term. And so we're all pretty familiar with the autonomous vehicles these days. But what so go, go into some of the other kind of areas that you're looking at. I mean, you mentioned drones. Uh, yeah. yeah what, what kind of innovation are you, are you seeing uh, going on there or maybe some of the newer parts within the drone field? Yeah. So um, the research that I've done on uh, drones has mainly been on the delivery side. So um, and yeah. it's it's a really exciting time because we've started to see actually and you know you mentioned regulation too well first i'll say regulation is um it's certainly a risk to investing in these areas and the way to deal with it uh, as an analyst will be um you know you sort of model that accordingly because it's a it's an item of uncertainty and we can't right. pr exactly to predict when a regulator will um, approve something so you build in a margin of error to your forecast essentially um, but with autonomous cars we've actually been really lucky on the regulation side because um, the U.S. is actually one of the most forward-thinking, or um, maybe we'll say it just happened to be the case that um, the responsibility lied with the states and not the um, mm -hmm. federal government. So things happened a lot sooner uh, than you'd expect with a new technology. Drones, uh, the regulation is much more of, of, mm -hmm. a, of a big deal in, in this area, and understandably so. But um, COVID has given us... Um, you know, the first, I'd say like it's kickstarted the drone trials because uh, one of the first applications of delivery is medical deliveries. Um, right now in Rwanda, for instance, more flights are unmanned than are manned. And wow. it's because um, a company called Zipline has been delivering blood there uh, for a number of years. And it's, you know, it's a trip that would take maybe two days or something on a motorbike and you could do it in 15 to 30 minutes with a drone. Wow, wow. Um, so it's super disruptive, uh, mm -hmm. especially in emerging markets. Like here in the U.S., you can think that would be more rural areas, right? Mm -hmm. So autonomous cars, city centers, drones will be for areas that don't have uh, like as many restaurants that deliver to your house, right? If you live in a more, um, let's say, like further suburban or, or rural area, um, you'll all of a sudden get more options and more convenience as a consumer. And ultimately, similar to autonomous cars, we think it'll also be cheap. Um, so that's that's where the real innovation is. Mm -hmm. Well, that's certainly a lot to think about. Um, any any other areas? I mean, you mentioned autonomous, uh, the the drones. Um, uh, what about some of the robotics areas in, in in other areas? Yes. So within robotics, um, you know, we we look a lot at uh, collaborative robots. Um, okay. Uh, and and also, I, I I'd say this is kind of a subset of robotics it's it's a robot in a way um 3d printing is one of my mm -hmm. other specialties um so this is a technology that um it, it really uh brings the cost to innovate down because the cost to make a prototype becomes right. extremely cheap uh low volume parts become extremely cheap uh, really complex parts all of a sudden become way easier to make than they they were so for 
for healthcare that has great applications. If you think of any implant that's custom built to the human body versus like an off the shelf part, you mm-hmm. can see how that's better. It cuts down on time in the operating room. And then for things like manufacturing, actually a lot of the, um, you know, You could imagine in the future that uh, a drone that has a specific application, we think there'll be a proliferation of form factors here in autonomous vehicles. So different applications have different vehicles, um, you know, attending to them. That's something that could really suit itself well to 3D printing because it's a a low volume um, part. uh, But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you can iterate quickly and, and sort of produce it on demand in a way that you couldn't before. Right. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stocks that are on Tasha's radar based on her areas of specialty. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, trader, listen up. The markets have changed. Have you changed your strategies? Vantage Point can help you conquer volatility. Learn to trade with AI. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and discover how to predict market trends one to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. No matter which way the market moves, Vantage Point's patented AI can give you a massive edge. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com to get what you need to find your best entries and exits. That's www.freestockcoaching.com. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with my weekly guest, Arusha Pires from O'Neill Global Advisors. He is a portfolio manager there. And our special guest this week is Tasha Keeney. She is an analyst over at ARK Invest, and she specializes in the autonomous, the robotics, the 3D printing, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. So we talked a lot about some of the areas in which you've created a process and models. So let's get to the nitty gritty, Tasha. Let's talk some stocks. And um, since we let's ended the last segment on, uh, on 3D printing, maybe you can talk about a 3D printing stock. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, it's hard to talk about 3D printing without talking about Stratasys. Um, this is, uh, it's, 3D printing is an emerging technology area, but, um, you know, of, of the, the names that we have that are publicly available, Stratasys is, is sort of one of, it's been one of the leaders and um, a company that's been doing this for over a decade. Uh, so Stratasys is a, a leader in um really plastic 3D printing. Uh, They also have some um, composite materials. Um, They have a service center that does other materials as well. But, um, and, but really, you know, one of the reasons that they tell the story of why 3D printing is so interesting is because um, Stratasys is being used um, in planes today. So the aerospace industry is the perfect example of, of why 3D printing is important because a lot of the parts tend to be low volume and highly complex. 3D printing in some cases can turn parts that used to be 20 pieces into just one piece. Um, it's really disruptive in uh, the, the engine space of 3D printing on the metal side. Um, for Stratasys, th- these would be like interior parts in, in the aircraft. They're also used in, in race cars. Um, mm-hmm. They do so many fun things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because uh, 10 years ago, I was I was speaking at an event. And of course, um, if we take a look at the monthly chart, and for those of you that are watching the video that's available on investors.com slash podcast, um, you can see that the chart that we have up here, I remember 10 years ago, uh, you know, Stratasys was all the rage, the ticker symbol SSYS. Um, yes. And I remember at one of these speaking events, I had a, a guy brought to me something that had been printed on a 3D printer, and it was just amazing. And 
that was 10 years ago. So what, what kind of happened? Uh, all of that enthusiasm uh, yeah. of 10 years ago just kind of uh, didn't, didn't end up doing anything. What, what, what happened there? Yes. So 10 years ago was a really interesting time for the 3D printing space because there was a lot of hype around a consumer, what I would call consumer 3D printing versus like an industrial or a manufacturing mm -hmm. setting of 3D printing. Uh, Stratasys bought into that hype. They acquired a company called MakerBot. They then had to write mm -hmm. down a part of that investment. Um, and uh, uh, many other uh, companies in the space as well also made investments in, in consumer areas and then even spun off those business units. But ultimately what happened? Well, there was this idea that there'd be a 3D printer in everyone's house right. and that never materialized and it really never will. Um, at ARC, we've always been really excited about the opportunity for industrial 3D printing. Mm -hmm. This is an industry that we think, um, you know, in a total enterprise value is less than a hundred today. It could scale to over a trillion over the next five years. Um, and that's what it, it becomes interesting once 3D printing really makes it past prototypes, that gimmicky consumer piece into, mm -hmm. you know, the part that's actually used in the end product. So end use products, parts that are used on airplanes, used in, in race cars. Uh, so Stratasys along with other companies had to come to that realization and really pivoted from, you know, one-off machine sales to partnering with their companies, partnering with companies like Airbus, understanding how to tweak the printers to make the quality better to really, uh, you know, further themselves into that end use part adoption. Um, so yes, there was a big correction in the space. And, and I think that uh, it's finally coming back. You know, people are talking about 3D printing once again, a lot of companies um, went public over the last year. Um, so I think it's an interesting sort of renaissance for 3D printing, especially with COVID and the supply chain mess, uh, lots right. of applications there. Yeah. And so is it going to be kind of just the ability to to improve that supply chain over the next few years? Is that going to finally be the catalyst to get it maybe near its all-time highs? Or is there, in maybe your assumptions in the, in the models, is, is there something else? Is it just the adoption rate? What, what kind of accelerates this again to, to really kind of excite Wall Street to the point where they were like 10 years ago? Yeah, I think, well, the opportunity that COVID presents is with this supply chain crisis, parts being so delayed, um, 3D printing, you know, you know, 3D printing with 3D printing, you can get a part in a matter of hours and you mm -hmm. might've, you might've had a two week lead time on it otherwise. Um, so it's great for what, um, I'd call bridge manufacturing. Uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, there's some period of time, um, that you need parts really quick and, uh, you're willing to switch methods, um, to, to get them quickly. I think that's, it's, it's great. It's a great experimental, um, phase for 3d printing like if you're a company and you've never tried it before you've never tried it on a specific part before is a great way to to get you to do that because when you have to cut costs and think quickly you know you're yeah. you're willing to make technology changes i think over the long term like what 3d printing is a lot more valuable for is creating parts that previously couldn't even exist with traditional yeah. manufacturing so it's kind of like totally redesigning you know it's not just replacing a piece on a car it's like what could um, you know a drone look like if it was totally three D printed in the future? Um, yeah. So I, I I think that's that's it's really more that adoption like you know new things being created that are from the ground up three D printed that is the more interesting piece to drive growth and and regulation actually is also a, a part of that as well especially in areas like healthcare and aerospace that are very heavily regulated industries so it's sort of just chipping away at uh, those requirements. No, and and going off of that, Tasha the. There, I remember 10 years ago when it was all the rage that there was a company 
uh, 3D printing houses, which seem now that yeah. <laughs> is an amazing revolution because it wasn't it was kind of 3D printing like the the house and the the pipes and everything in just kind of in just the whole little slivers. Uh, yeah. And it was mind boggling. I mean, any updates on that or is that company or is that company kind of gone away? Yes, there's there's been a couple uh, companies that have it, it, at one point it was called contour crafting, but it's exactly what you're talking about. It's like 3D printing with cement to make structures really fast. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that's it's a great example of like how 3D printing overlaps with this robotic space, because really all that is is a big robotic arm that spits out material. Um, so you're right that it kind of went away for a while. It came back. It actually has been used in the, in the U S for, um, you know, housing, some housing projects that needed to be built quickly. Um, it's been used other places like China and in some emerging markets as well. Um, I think that's interesting, but for now, I don't, I don't see that as like, there's one player that's really dominating that space. The, the opportunity that we look at is, is much more focused on specific applications like healthcare, like aerospace, um, sort of breaking into those industries where we think there, there could be a lot of, um, you know, a lot more revenue opportunity for 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And and again, just to kind of uh, come back to this point, because I, I always thought of the 3D printing as uh, at, at least its place in the industrial process to be more of that, hey, we can get the prototypes quick, we can get that iteration yeah. out there quick. Um, and then then you have your, you know, your, your traditional manufacturing that does the part, but it's that prototype part. You're kind of say, saying that there's the the parts themselves, especially when it's something that's maybe a little bit more specialized. So is it a combination of those two or is the yeah. is the parts really kind of the dominant place where you see that uh, market growing? Yeah, I, I think it is a common. Uh, 3D printing is always going to be really great. And in many cases, the cheapest option and the fastest option to iterate and prototype. Mm -hmm. um, technologies like injection molding that are meant for uh, mass volumes um, will always exist. Uh, other technologies will always exist. 3D printing is going to be really good, again, for like those specialized, really highly complex, low volume parts. Uh, but really, those exist in every industry. Anything mm -hmm. that has customization, um, you know, anything that uh, I, I, I like 3D printing, again, because it, it helps innovators innovate. Um, it helps us create these parts that are really better designed for what they're actually supposed to do. And then the last thing I'll add to this is that 3D printing, um, one very exciting thing is that it allows you to bring AI into the manufacturing process in a way that was not possible before through what's called generative design. So the computer, you you give the system your inputs, like here's what I need the part to do, the characteristics I want it to have. It spits out, um, right now it spits out a bunch of designs for you to choose from as the designer or the engineer. Um, and uh, often those AI-driven uh, designs are only possible with 3D printing. You cannot traditionally manufacture them. So it's really, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where we're, we're probably not even able to imagine what this is capable of in the future, right. or like what, you know, the next generation machines will look like. I think that's how uh, the Terminator movie started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Skynet in its infancy. Uh, so let's go ahead and before we scare ourselves, let's go ahead and move on to another stock. Um, and here, here's an IPO that came out not too long ago. ago. This is TSP. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what it is they do and um, what, what the prospects are for this stock? 
Yeah, Too Simple um, is an autonomous trucking company. Uh, it's interesting because it's a company that's public, but the technology is still very early on. So, um, you know, passenger cars uh, went went into full autonomy a little bit quicker than other machine types. Um, trucks, it didn't happen as quickly. And there's good reasons for that. They're really heavy. There's um, a lot more safety cases to think about. But um, Too Simple is one of the only companies that's right now testing trucks with no driver in them. Mm. Um, they're first tackling the middle mile of trucking. And, you know, talking about regulation again, uh, the cool thing here is that in the early days of autonomy, when um, the first bills were introduced to address it um, at the federal level, uh, you know, lobbyists were able to put in those bills, um, hey, this is okay, but not for very large, very heavy uh, right. vehicles. So, but now with the trucking shortage and with the supply chain mess, um, you know, you can imagine an autonomous trucking company can come in. And although I think the price of an autonomous electric truck could be much cheaper than a human-driven diesel truck today, it doesn't have to be at its entry point because people are so desperate just to, you know, get trucks and and um, even find drivers. Uh, so, so I, it's it's a really um, interesting turning point, uh, particularly for trucks, and that I, I, I think everyone just wants this to happen as soon as possible. Um, and this is one of the companies that's leading the charge. And and so uh, I'm assuming they're they're going to they're competing with Tesla's uh, truck too. Like, how, how do they, you know, how do they differ from that? You know, which one's cheaper? Which one seems to be leading, and or which one might come out quicker? Yeah. So. Well, Tesla is a little bit different in that, um, you know, they're a fully integrated manufacturer and autonomy provider. Uh, Too Simple is partnering with manufacturers on, okay. on the trucking side and then integrating their system. They're looking to build custom built trucks. So from the ground up, it has the autonomous system built into it. Um, but that's that's something that will happen over, let's say, the next two to three years. Uh, and Two Simple is actually further along on the testing side of things because wow. Tesla's been testing autonomy in its passenger cars, um, but the semi is, you know, not not in volume production yet, right? Um, and that's yeah. something that's really crucial to get the te technology to work. You just need to right. test it on real roads. So um, that's that's one leg up that they have. But you know, for Tesla to focus on passenger cars makes sense because I think that'll be a much bigger market. Um, you know, it could be measured in the uh, like over 10 trillion versus autonomous trucks, I think could be like hundreds of billions um, okay. in order of magnitude. Mm -hmm. and, and when we were talking about this middle mile, so is the way that these trucks would be used where maybe it would have a driver that, you know, I know there's regulations for drivers, human drivers right now in terms of yeah. how much time they can be on there. So would it have a human driver that, you know, kind of does that, that first, first part and then they can sleep and rest uh, while the truck does does everything else, and then they kind of come back for the last part. Or is it um, more of a you, you you swap in a swap in a driver, or you know swap out your 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 trailer? Uh, how does that work exactly to to get that middle mile? Exactly, and, it's it's where you'd be able to swap the trailer from what would be you know a human driven cab to the autonomous cab for that portion of the journey. It's the easiest. Well, it's it's an easier part mm -hmm. of autonomy to tackle. Autonomy is really hard, but um, you know, this is sort of the first step, but I, I think in the in the future, um, you could imagine that they they will go for um, sort of that uh, those those end miles as well, or at least you know 
the as as sort of the um, factory footprint is built out to handle this new wave of e-commerce that we have. Um, in that case, they may not go door to door to the customer, but they'll get to at least to where the warehouse is. And then in terms of risks, um, you know, you mentioned that this is uh, kind of reliant on its partnership. So uh, is, is there is there any risk in terms of, oh, you know what, you you, you partnered with the wrong person or, you know, you uh, stuff like that. Uh, how is how are those partnerships working out so far? Yeah, so Too Simple is partnered with Navistar, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, one of one of the interesting things here is that um, you know they were one of the first companies to get a manufacturing partner to allow them to build building from the ground up with autonomy in mind is really important. Retrofitting any vehicle uh, with an autonomous system is going to work only so far, right? If you want it to be fully autonomous, you you want it to be fully integrated. Uh, Otherwise, it's going to get complex having systems communicate with another. It's like Mm -hmm. setting yourself up for errors. Um, So, you know, they are dependent on their manufacturing partner. I I think that's that's one of the advantages of a company like Tesla that's uh, more vertically integrated. Um, But again, you know, it's like if it's a game of just getting trucks out on the road as fast as possible and being first to market, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the game they're playing. Right. So, so I think that's, that's the interesting thing is that they are, they've just been a little bit more aggressive in terms of testing the technology on the road as fast as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned a, a vertically integrated company, this, uh, company called Tesla. So, uh, what, what, what is it that they do? What, what, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so uh, it's certainly on the passenger car side, um, mm-hmm. you know, this is, and there's been a lot of controversy over, uh, you know, even calling it autopilot, full self-driving when uh, it's it's arguably, you know, very early stages uh, in terms of what it's capable of. So uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about where where Tesla is. And mm-hmm. I mean, look, they've been notorious at missing missing deadlines and things like that. So what do you see as kind of the the trajectory here for Tesla? Yeah, I think. You know, te- there's a- there's always going to be um, a lot of opinions on Tesla, sort of on, yeah. on either so- side of the spectrum. It's like, you know, there's a huge fan base, but also there's a ton of critics. Right. I- and I do think that some of those criticisms are even kind of driven by the message that traditional autos want to get out there. But as you said, autopilot right now is what what's called a level two system. Basically, mm-hmm. you have to still pay attention as the driver. You can't take your hands off the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in versus, you know, a company that starts to build an autonomous system using a prototype uh, vehicle or a fleet of prototype vehicles and not their consumer passenger cars. The advantage of doing it this way for Tesla is, yes, it's a little risky. You are testing features out on the customer first in shadow mode, so they don't even know that they're running in the background, but they do get early releases of products. There's a uh, full self-driving beta that Tesla has. It's not perfect, um, but they actually are releasing it out too. Um, they said on their most recent earnings call to all, um, everyone in the US uh, that has that option by the end of the year. So, so it's, it's, it's getting better and they at least have the confidence to do that. Um, but you know, they're taking this somewhat a little bit riskier approach and the advantage is that they're gonna have a huge amount of data that right. no one else can mirror. I mean, we're talking like billions of miles yeah. of <laughs> data a day versus if you're um, a company with prototypes and even if you have like 500 prototypes you're you know you might be at 20 million in the lifetime of the project Mm -hmm. um so so that's the advantage of of that approach 
Mm-hmm. So, so is the kind of the the next catalyst for Tesla the robot taxis, or is it just even more adoption of like the Model Three and uh, or you know finally solving the just kind of the self driving? I think, you know, it's it's hard to talk about Tesla without talking about these two storylines, one that they're the leading provider of electric vehicles, um, EVs as a percentage of total auto sales are just 6% today. You know, at ARC, we think the future is all electric. Um, yeah. So that will become the, the majority with time, we think there'll be uh, 40 million EVs sold within the next in, in the next five years, um, annually. So I think there's that massive transformation happening and and Tesla's leading the charge uh, since they started early. They have this um, cost structure that no one else is able to mirror in terms of like cost performance trade off for electric vehicles. Um, I do think that autonomy, if if they're successful, uh, which we at ARC think they have a pretty good shot at, um, that is a game changer that no one has ever seen before. I mean, the price of personal auto travel has not changed adjusted for inflation in roughly a hundred years. That oh, 70 wow. cents per mile of driving a new personal car, um, that's been around since you know the first Model T rolled off the assembly line pretty much. So that coming down now is really dramatic. It's gonna totally change the business model from you know selling cars, making some money on software to a highly recurring revenue stream. Um, and you know, this is gonna be like it's like Uber or Lyft, but on steroids. It's like it expands the market that Ridehill has today. You can do it for a lot cheaper. And if you're first to market, I think you, they can get pretty healthy uh, take rates off of um, you know the gross revenues that come off of ridehailing. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you know at least on the on the EV side, there's certainly a lot of talk about uh, you know the, these other EV makers. You know you have you have of course the the US auto manufacturers that are kind of getting more involved in the EVs. And then you have the Chinese um, mm-hmm. EV and, and some of those are coming down in cost uh, considerably. And then also yeah. if you could also address this whole lithium thing, you know, cause a, a lot of the, a lot of this is predicated on uh, a material that potentially has a limited supply. Well, on, on your last point, I would, I would slightly tweak it to say that lithium is really abundant but in mm-hmm. order to actually um, produce it and yes. uh, refine it in the way that's needed for a lot right. of people, the capacity, you know, yes. if for our vision of EVs to be true, you know, that capacity needs to ramp up. And we, we heard, we did hear on the latest Tesla earnings call, Elon Musk called this, you know, an opportunity to print money for any entrepreneur that right. wants to get into the lithium yeah. business. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we know, we know that that's, um, you know, but, but it's, it's sort of like, I think that's what uh, that's there's there's always going to be sort of some um, choke point uh, mm-hmm. as a technology scales. Uh, but again, given that the um, the supply is there, um, you'd think that reasonable business people will see the opportunity and make it happen in the interim. But it's something to think about. Um, mm-hmm. I think when it comes to competition, um, when you look at EV volumes, it's sort of like Tesla and then it's some Chinese players and then it's everyone else. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of the traditional automakers have committed um, what seems like a lot of money to making EVs. But um, if you look at uh, the CapEx that Tesla plans to spend versus other traditional U.S. automakers, actually, um, is pretty much on par if you're looking at electric vehicles. So and they're incredibly capital capital efficient. I mean, compared to like I think that average car is something like um, 
it's like $14,000 per car in CapEx to produce, like Tesla could cut that in half, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that it's going to be really hard to unseat them from this advantage that they've built and they have the battery supply locked in. They're doing right. things internally. Um, you know, they're creating a new cell type because they see an opportunity there while still sourcing from everyone else. So it's like, could there be um, choke points that um, come up in the future? Yes, but I think this is a company that innovates around things like that. Mm -hmm. Like they're already um, working on new technologies that like re reduce the amounts of um, metals that are hard to find within the mm -hmm. battery. Um, so so uh, I, I think that's that's sort of the exciting thing about Tesla is, is uh, you know, they're on top of it. Mm -hmm. Is there a scenario where Elon Musk maybe spreads himself out too thin he, he's yeah maybe spacex accelerates maybe he has to take twitter uh and then you know tesla and all of a sudden he just can't concentrate enough on, on a tesla to, to keep it growing at the the same pace you know yeah i hear that question a lot and i i think i think it's worth considering but i'll say that I mean, he's been running like five to seven companies for a, wh a while now and mm -hmm. surprisingly successfully, but, you know, very successfully um, considering how much he does. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, when, when we talked to Tesla and even actually on the most recent earnings call, he was asked if he would step away from Tesla. He had mentioned at one point he might not be on every earnings call, but he said, you know, during times of turmoil, like we have now with the supply chain challenges, he'll be there. He wants to see the company through to full autonomy. Um, so I think we have nothing to go on other than what they've already done on an execution basis. Um, yeah. So is he doing a lot? Yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, he's pulled it off so far. Right. Uh, so so I, I think that's that's what we can look at. And and maybe one more choke point to kind of discuss is is kind of the infrastructure uh, charging stations. And I know you know Tesla is certainly at the forefront. I mean, we just took a trip uh, up to Northern California, and it, it's really interesting to see the Tesla charging stations. Um, you know, at restaurants. So it's basically like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, you know, you just uh, you know stop in this town that is not got a lot going on, but they have a Tesla charging station at a restaurant, so you can kind of um, you know merge those two now. It, is is that something where uh, the adoption is going to be tough? Because again, whether it's the limited capacity of the lithium or the you know the infrastructure needing time to get built out, does that just kind of delay how quickly the adoption can happen? Uh, greater than that six percent that it is now. Yeah, I think the important thing to keep in mind with um, EV infrastructure is one, it's never going to mirror what gas infrastructure looks like because mm -hmm. most uh if, if you're able to charge at home nine over 90 percent of um right you know charging happens at home today I, I i think that when i think of infrastructure to be honest i am much more concerned about the non-tesla players because right yeah. if you use the supercharger network i mean it's the car tells you where to go tells you yeah. how long to charge versus pulling up your phone, using multiple third-party apps, you get to the mm -hmm. charger, it may or may not work, it takes a lot longer. Um, mm -hmm. So, but but ultimately, I, I think that, um, you know, for a widespread EV adoption, that based on what we see today from an infrastructure perspective and the commitments that others have made, governments, um, private companies included, um, I, I don't expect that to, to hold back. Um, the EV industry, especially because, uh, you know, there's this idea of 
range anxiety. A lot of right. people like a lot of people like to buy their car for like the one road trip that they take every year, <laughs> even though most of the time they drive 30 miles a day and then they yeah. go home. So yeah. um, I, I think for most people's needs, electric vehicles uh, work like, will some people be stubborn? Yes. But, you know, when EVs are uh, st at sticker price parity with gas powered cars um, and we see, according to rights law, the cost of batteries is coming down. We see that happening. Um, that's when the consumer is going to make a, an incremental decision to buy an EV. Plus, with autonomy, it makes total sense to have an electric yeah. platform. So operating costs are lower. Um, and that's that's on a fleet model. So you're not even relying on consumers for that to take hold. Mm -hmm. So. Well, Tasha, a lot to consider, and uh, thank you so much for going in depth with so many different uh, parts of, of what you cover with us. Uh, we really appreciate appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Okay, when we come back, Arush and I are going to tackle the market and see what's going on with it right now and whether we're at an inflection point or not. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, trader, listen up. The markets have changed. Have you changed your strategies? Vantage Point can help you conquer volatility. Learn to trade with AI. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com and discover how to predict market trends one to three days in advance with up to 87.4% proven accuracy. No matter which way the market moves, Vantage Point's patented AI can give you a massive edge. Visit www.freestockcoaching.com to get what you need to find your best entries and exits. That's www.freestockcoaching.com. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. And welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with my good buddy, Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager. So Arusha, uh, last week was a really strong week. Um, and the biggest problem, it seems like, has been just finding stuff to buy. Uh, a lot of a lot of stuff is still coming off the bottom. You still have a lot of these uh, kind of the consumer staples, your your Hershey's, your your Post cereal, your Kellogg's uh, that are kind of you know looking like the setups uh, that are out there. Um, how have you been handling this market? And again, it, it hasn't been easy. So what have you been doing? Yeah, it's it, you know I've, I've still been pretty cautious because I'm looking more for growth stocks versus the stocks mm -hmm. that you mentioned. And now, yeah, I mean like a General Mills, a Kellogg's, uh, those charts look fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, they 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 look really really strong. The problem is is it's General Mills and Kellogg, right? right? <laughs> so it that we're not necessarily looking for those type of stocks. Usually when those are when those stocks do well and those industry groups start doing well, that makes me more nervous because those are more defensive areas. And so that's just telling me that more money underneath the surface are going to it's going to those type of areas and going to safety. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you go back to NASDAQ, so getting back to the kind of the larger picture. Yeah, we had a, a very, very strong last uh, week. Uh, and then today was incredibly strong. Yeah, it was enough. Now, this was a fall today, right? It was up 2.59% on big volume. Finally, uh, volume above average. Like, there you go. I haven't seen yeah, that for a while. <laughs> exactly. So you, you are getting these, you're getting these additional fall through days. You get, you, you almost got a classic kind of fall through day today. And this is a, what, maybe the third or fourth fall through day since we have the, the one in June. Yeah, uh, I think this might have been the fifth, actually. It was uh, the fifth. So, okay. Yeah. So. So you're having this really, really strong counter trend rally. 
it's always hard to know whether is this just kind of your classic bear market rally or is this the beginning of a new bull market type of right. rally, right? Uh, and so you kind of have to take it at, at its at face value and keep an open mind that, you know what, maybe we have bottomed in June. You know, that mm -hmm. is a possibility. Now, the reality is, or in my opinion, I would say, is that the probabilities are uh, higher that we probably test the, the lows again. And I kind of feel like we probably need one more leg down. But that being said, the market has never cared about what I think and it usually <laughs> does the opposite. So so we've had this really strong rally. You have to take it at face value. But kind of like what you were getting to, Justin, underneath the surface, you're not seeing a lot of kind of the classic growth stocks. Now, there are there are pockets that are right. popping up, which is a positive. But you're, you're still not seeing that broad based rally amongst tons of growth stocks. So as a result where I'm mainly using kind of bottom up, looking for stocks that are setting up in growthier type of areas that I can buy, I still don't have that much of an opportunity to get a lot of money, uh, to put a lot of money to work here, which is in many ways kind of frustrating, mm -hmm. but it's, I have, I have to listen to the market. Mm -hmm. Now, on the technical side, a few areas of resistance that we were looking at for the NASDAQ here, that 12,320 level, the, the June highs, uh, that was a June 2nd high. Uh, we we kind of cleared that last week. And more importantly, I liked how the two days that we had to start this week were really kind of mild, you know, and, and, and just really digesting those gains. And then you had the strong day today. Um, now we've kind of crossed that 12,555, um, 587 level. That was kind of the bottom there. Um, so I guess next stop is potentially 13,000 and that 200 day moving average line, which, I mean, if you think about it, the move from the bottom to the 200 day moving average line, that's quite a move. But to your point, you know, we, we went through the 2000 to 2003, and I'm not saying that this is the same thing, but you can have very strong bear market rallies. Uh, we showed that 40% move that you had in 2001 after the 9-11 tragedy. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to tell. Is this, is this truly a bottom? Is this a bear market rally? Uh, and what a lot of people don't realize is you could also just have this sideways movement, right? It could be the bottom. But that doesn't mean you go up to new highs. You could have a lot of back and forth movement and choppy action. Um, but the, the biggest frustration, I'm with you, Arusha, it's right now is you're looking at what's moving the market on a day to day basis. And a lot of times it's stuff that I don't want to buy. It's, you know, like, you know, Facebook, you know, Facebook was one of the top uh, top movers, I, I guess I should say meta platforms, uh, since now that they've changed their their name and their their symbol but you know this is up five percent today and this isn't a chart that like excites me this isn't something that i'm like looking to to really go and put on my uh you know uh, put put a big position on so yeah it's uh now one thing that we should mention uh just in looking at one of the industries uh that has been kind of looking a little bit stronger is this the the biomed biotech we've been talking about this for a while you can look at xbi or ibb um those kind of had a nice little pullback here and a, a, a nice jump today, but we got to also discuss earnings. Uh, we've we've been having an earnings season where, uh, for a lot of companies, it's 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 gone great. You know, they've had a, a, a good move after earnings. Um, not so great for some companies. But what's what's your take on what's been going on with this earnings season? Anything special? 
Well, the I think the one one thing is that what kind of the one special thing is that uh, the expectations were so low. Right. Even though there were, a lot of these companies reported uh, poor earnings, they weren't as bad as expected. And so you had some pretty big jumps there. Uh, this has been the first the earnings reaction, the first time we've seen like a pretty strong earnings reaction in a while. Right. And you've had some pretty strong gap ups. And so there might be a character change going on in that way. Uh, so so that kind of was one thing that I know. It's like, OK, it's been a while since we've seen a lot of power come into into the market and, and and into some of these stocks now the problem is as you were uh, alluding to before a lot of these stocks have, have been hammered and so it's kind of powering up in these strong moves off the bottom uh, but there are some others that that are doing well i think the fact that biotechs are are doing pretty well and i think they're number eight let me go over to the industry groups here but they, they might be like ranked number eight in the in the of the overall rankings here let's see uh, number uh, 11 i'm showing number 11 okay so num mm -hmm. number 11 right here so i the, i think the fact that the biotech group has moved all the way up to number 11 now three months ago they were 130 there mm -hmm. are 800 over 800 stocks in this group so a ton of money has to go into this group to move it all the way up so that part is pretty impressive to me you see energy solar at number two, and, and we've had some stocks uh, uh, move really well uh, after earnings report, or definitely one of them moved really, really well after an earnings report. <laughs> yeah, and Solar so, Edge, not so much today. <laughs> yeah, the, another one moved down quite a bit after the earnings report. Yeah. But um, so, so there are pockets of growth uh, starting to emerge in the market, and maybe this is where kind of the new leadership will come once the maybe if the market is truly starting a new bull market now or if it starts it in the future maybe these are the types of areas where you have your future leaders uh so i think that's a positive but that being said i'm i'm still kind of moving more incrementally and kind of mm -hmm. letting the market tell me trying really trying to let the market slowly pull me in and it's not pulling me in that much just yet Mm -hmm. Well, definitely. Uh, I mean, just looking at the top 20, let's say, um, you know, it's it's hard to get too excited when you still have wholesale food up there, retail super mini markets up there. Um, you've got, you know, not not too far away. I mean, you've got the retail discounts and variety at number 18. Um, followed by utility gas distribution and then food packaged, you know, beverages, alcoholic. So uh, still there is there is kind of a defensive bent. Um, but, you know, to your point, there have been along with the biomed biotech, you know, that was, as you mentioned, 133 months ago. Now at number 11, you also had telecom infrastructure at 145 three months ago. And now that's at number 10. Um, you had the, the telecom fiber optics go from 116 three months ago to number six. Uh, so you're, and solar, of course, you know, we can't miss that one. 165 three months ago to group number two. So there certainly has been uh, some, some big moves here, uh, some big shifts. So, um, you know, this, this might be areas to be, to be looking at, but Right now, it still seems like the setups are not as plentiful as we'd like to see. And one more thing I just want to point out, as, as it certainly seems like the NASDAQ is dominating right now. Uh, the S&P 500, if you go over to, to that um, index, that has not crossed above the, the June highs quite yet. It's, it's right on the verge of that 4,177 level. 
the Dow Jones Industrial Average is, you know, is, is just shy of its June highs as well. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's still got that 33,000 level in IWM, which is the Russell 2000, uh, that that's just shy of its um, it, its level as well. It's a little bit closer. So uh, NASDAQ is certainly the index that is is leading right now. Um, but as as we've been talking about, a lot of what's strengthening or powering this rise is stuff that's moving off the bottom. Yeah, I, I think the, the big thing is you, you want to keep an open mind for that possibility that we've started a new bull market, mm-hmm. but you want to listen to the market too, right? And if there aren't a lot of, re- if there isn't a lot of reason to get exposure, if you're looking, using a growth strategy and looking for great growth stocks that are breaking out near new highs, uh, then you have to kind of respect that process and uh, be patient, right? And And a lot of it is, and this comes down to, uh, if you're just, and, and most of us are individual investors out here, right? Mm-hmm. And you have that luxury of going to the sidelines and waiting for the fat pitch, right? Yeah. Waiting for that that great environment to come around and being patient. Uh, and if you want to play, you play small in, during these times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think that's a huge advantage where you, you just remain patient and we all we've already explained over a number of episodes how, that you can have these really powerful bear market rallies and those who have FOMO and, and they're worried that they're going to miss the next great run. They're going to get pulled into something where and say this if say this is a bear market rally, they'll get pulled into it and then kind of get hit when it comes back in again. Uh, so I think the best approach always is just take it at face value, move slowly, incrementally in. Uh, and when the time is right, you'll feel like a kid in the candy store. All of a sudden, yeah. you will see tons of stocks and great growth ideas that you of companies that you really are excited about. Kind of like what Tasha was, you know, excited about these kind of massive TAMs coming around. Uh, and then you're going to know. You're, every few days, there will be another opportunity to buy right. another great growth stock, and we're, we're just not seeing that just yet. So, so. I, I just kind of respect that, and I'm playing. It's just small right now until uh, things change. And look, you, you you refer to it as a luxury, and you refer to it as an advantage. But I mean, we should address the fact that it can be hard when you're watching yes, the market go up like this, hard, yeah. and you like start calculating the percentage, and you're like, oh man, I'm not participating. You know, what's uh, you know, um, that 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 can be hard. But as you mentioned, uh, a lot of times those opportunities that do come when those fat pitches are there, they can more than make up for, you know, what you, what you lost ground on when the markets were moving without you. So, yeah. And I, I would say one other thing is if, if you want to participate the, and, and especially if you've seen the indexes run and, and you want to try to part- participate on that, then you can go to ETFs when they yeah. set up, right? Mm-hmm. Cause that, Absolutely. that's a little bit different. At least that gives you some exposure to, to just kind of ride the ETFs and just use the, the charts on that level versus looking for uh, growth stocks on, on kind of the stock level. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it at that. And next week on the show, we're going to have Ross Haber back on. He is, of course, a former William O'Neill and Company portfolio manager. Uh, I used to work with him back in the day, 20 years ago when I was first starting out. So uh, he's now the co-founder and head trader at Trader Lion. Uh, they just put on a great show not too long ago with a uh, a couple weekends of very informative action. So it'll be great to have Ross back on the show. So we hope you join us for that. Thank you very much for watching us this week and we'll see you next time.
make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.